and welcome to another Scots Wayhead podcast. And today I'm joined by Scotland's national chef and Master Chef the Professionals winner, Gary McLean. Hello, Gary. Hi, how are you? Thanks for having Very us. Good. Oh, it's an absolute pleasure. I'm really looking forward to this. We're going to talk about your new cookbook, Scottish Kitchen. If you're looking at the video <laughs> version, I have one here, a beautiful book, but also your life as a chef. So first of all, why did you want to write this book, Scottish Kitchen? Um, I've always been passionate about um, Scotland and Scottish food. And uh, I wrote my first book uh, not long after coming off uh, from winning MasterChef. And my kind of thoughts were at the time when I was sort of coming up with ideas, I kind of went down the route of my sort of education background, you know, my, my teaching. So what I wanted to do was to write a book that taught people to cook. And that was a kind of driving force. But what happened once the book was out and I started doing kind of demos and getting out and about and, and I do a lot in the States, I was selling the book um, to everybody and everybody just presumed that it was Scottish. And the actual fact was that I had a kind of rule with my last book that I didn't really want to be, I didn't want to put Scottish in it because I wanted to sell it to all our pals south of the border. Yeah. You know, there's there's 50 million of them and, I, you know, where I saw a sales hat on, I thought, it's got to be kind of general, and I didn't want to be sort of pigeonholed into the whole uh, the whole Scottish thing. But I started feeling guilty, you know, that people were buying because all my demos and stuff were always all about Scottish produce and yeah. you know that sort of thing. And then and then at the end of the demo, you're at the you know the the table signing and selling books, and it was all full of curries and risottos and chicken tikka masalas and all that sort of stuff. So um, I kind of felt that I would <laughs> a lot of people a Scottish book and the other thing through lockdown as well I kind of I started uh, coming up with new ideas for books and I had lots of different ones that I'd sent to the publisher but the Scottish one was one that I really thought was there was a missing mark in, in the in the book market for a, a book that celebrated Scotland's traditional food that was actually written in a in a recipe format that people can go at the supermarket and buy and replicate um, and I also thought there's not a, there's not many Scottish cookbooks that are doing traditional food that that provide kind of modern photography. So I, I thought there was a market there, and I bought them all. You know, I bought a lot of Scottish cookbooks every day. I was buying something online, one that I didn't have, and I was reading through it. And I just felt, you know, you know, it's time we celebrated our 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 food. You know, if I was a French chef. You know, there'd be no question I'd be talking about baguettes and, and, and you know, copper van and all these sort of classics. And why shouldn't we be celebrating our steak pie and our butteries? There's no reason yeah. why not. And that's exactly what it is. You know, there's, I've read a lot of cookbooks myself over the years, and this is perhaps the most Scottish one that there is. You know, you've got not just a chapter on haggis, you've got the way to make your own haggis. You've got yeah. uh, recipes which use lots of native berries. Uh, you've got um, sweets and treats like uh, clutty dumpling, black bun. I'd never seen a recipe for black bun before. Yeah. You know? And also things that your mum or my mum or our friends would make like tablet and fudge and you know things yeah. like that. I mean, there are lots of fine dining uh, recipes in there as well, but I'd never seen, I think, long sausage in a cookbook, that kind no. of thing. No, and again, it's the kind of thing that I, I had to research and being honest, because I'm a chef and the best people who make lawn sausage are butchers, the best people that make uh, haggis are butchers, the best people that make a scotch pie are bakers, you know, so I had to really 
phone all my pals, basically. I had to phone up and say, look, and, and again, it's that sort of thing because I travel a lot and because I do a lot with the kind of expat communities around the world. You know, the first thing they want to do, and when I say expat, even, even you know, our pals that go down south, and you'll probably yeah. agree, when, when you go visit, they want they, they send you a list of stuff, don't they? And it's lawn sausage or stoneaway black pudding or, or a scotch pie that you, they want to see. So I kind of thought, you know, this book could not be complete without the Scottish food from my childhood. What do I remember? You know, going to the football and sticking a Scotch pie in your pocket because you've got you've got two bovrooms to take back and that sort of thing. So, you know, and, and that's every bit I think is important to our Scottish heritage as haggis included, don't they? Yeah, no, no, absolutely right. But as I say, you've also got, you know, you're using things like rabbit, which is still fairly rare in cookbooks and things like that. So, you know, it is Scottish kind of produce across yeah. the world. Yeah. Um, and there, there was another big thing I wanted to do, and again, Scotland isn't traditionally um, or historically known for a kind of, a, 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 dare I say, a veggie option. Yeah. You know, but again, looking at research and reading books and, and you know, just and hiding away in a corner and, and, and looking at the history of our food and how we used to eat, you know, veg was fairly abundant, yeah. you know, you know, two, three, even 400 years ago, you know, Glasgow had seven markets. I think Edinburgh had about seven or eight fruit markets at the time. And, and what I used for inspiration for that, I used a community garden. Um, there's a community garden called the Wash House uh, Garden in the east end of Glasgow, um, mm -hmm. Parkhead or Toe Cross nearly. And um, I just couldn't believe I had been going there for a few years, judging competitions and getting to know the people. And I needed to get a, I needed to get a balance in the book, you know, because people are looking, definitely looking for that kind of option. And every single item in that, every single item in that chapter was grown in the East End of Glasgow. And basically what I did was um, I walked around with the, the gardener. We picked what was nice at the time and I took it home and I made the dishes up. So, and again, it's harkening back to our kind of lost past where we did eat quite well when it comes to fruit and vegetables. And before I kind of talk a bit more about the, the recipes themselves, you mentioned that, uh, so for me, a lot of cookbooks, they either fall into one of two categories. They're either kind of coffee table books that make, my first one was White Heat, Marco Pierre White's yeah. famous book. Now, I wasn't going to be making a lot of the stuff out of that in my kitchen, but it was a beautiful thing to have. But then you've got your kind of go-to cookbooks that are all dog-eared and splash with wine and all that kind of, and yeah. there ones. I think your book kind of falls in both camps. It's got a foot in both yeah. camps. It's got beautiful photography and illustrations in it. But then you've also got these recipes which almost demand to be, you know, tried. To be out. used, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Again, I think the photography is a standout in this book. Uh, so as um, absolutely stunning. Um, you know, I couldn't believe. You know, it was all done. It was all done at home. So it was. Um, uh, and the photographer came in, and in this room, we turned into a studio for a couple of weeks. Right. So I had the, I had the photographer here for, you know. 10 days um, and basically just turned the whole whole thing up. But again, I think I think the other thing, there was a lot of support with this book as well from, you know, from a mate who gave me all the plates. He runs a, you know, he runs a, a, a company selling crockery. And he said, when I told him the idea and the, the thought process behind the book, no bother. And he sent me like 300 plates. So all of this all, all comes together, I think, really well. And I, again, it came at a time you know, writing it that we there was a bit of light at the end of the tunnel as well. So there was an opportunity to get in 
you know, getting out and meeting suppliers and picking up food and 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 sort of stimulating everybody's brain after you know the the, the sort of two years that we had. No, and um, it's interesting. I think you talk about it, the kind of collaborative process. It sounds like it was more collaborative than even I thought. How did you? What was it like to work on a cookbook? I've talked to a lot of. Uh, writers and you know that's kind of solitary thing until their novel or their piece of non-fiction goes to the publishers but it yeah. sounds like you know you're even bringing in suppliers or or, or people else yeah I, I, I mean for me I've been a chef for 35 years and I think it takes you about 25 years to realize that you're never going to know everything yeah you know where you know where you get to a point in your career where you can say Do you know what I don't know that I'm going to speak to somebody who does you know, and again, I mean, even to be fair, in my last cookbook, I had, I, I did have, you know, a, a lot of people that I spoke to and things like that. Again, people in different fields, bakers, pastry chefs, all that sort of stuff. So, um, and again, it's just getting, it's just making sure that I'm getting the right information. And there was a, there's a lot of regional stuff in the book, you know, and I'm from the West Coast of Scotland, but when you, Dare I say, when you think about Scotland's traditional iconic recipes, you know, you know things like a broke smokies and and brides and buddies and all that sort of stuff. It's all up this coast. So what I wanted to do was to try and make sure that I got genuine, uh, genuine stories of those foods, and whether it's a modern story or a story about my boss who used to, um, you know, from Aberdeen who used to be really critical. Of, uh, butteries and things like that so I tried to get that in and again it's making sure I've got a friend I've got a friend from Forfa and uh, she she would bring me um, Bridie's down because again the west coast uh, and I don't know also where you live but in the west coast a Bridie comes in puff pastry right so it does and I always thought a Bridie was a puff pastry item and it's not until you, you, you pick up a book and there's a kind of it's almost like a it's a short pastry but it's quite a stretchy short pastry and again, online's a great resource. You can sit and actually watch the very best, uh, you know, uh, butchers making these uh, making these bridies or bakers making these bridies. So again, it was making sure that everything was in there that was right. And I took, a, a, again, a, a, there was a lot of phoning and a lot of chasing up. But again, second time round, right, in this book, I was much more organised. I was much more you know, in terms of my work skills, I was much better, you know, organizing files. And um, my last book must have been a nightmare for the publisher because it was sent in, you know, I, I wrote the recipes that I loved and yeah. they kind of had to figure it out where it fitted within the book. But I kind of had a clear, had a clear vision of where this was going. And, you know, I was working to a page count and things like that. Um, and again, working with black and white publishing, uh, it, you know, they just produce some of the most beautiful books ever. You know, but again, it's it is solitary. Though you're sitting there, you're typing away. You're in a sit when I sit right now, and you're you're typing away, and you're you're working on a recipe, and you're reading it over, and things like that. And it is quite a scary thing that, that then goes away, and then the next time you see it, it's in Waterstones. Yeah, you know, so it's uh, it's quite scary. I was, I remember being terrified from my first book in case I'd made a mistake. You know, in case someone would you know email me and say that you know, that recipe didn't work or, or anything like that. And I think that book's been out about three years and I've never had any of that. So there'll be a wee bit more confidence in my own ability to, to make sure I got the right information over as well. And as you explained, you're really busy doing other things and traveling around. So was this, do you have to almost fit this in between everything else? Um, I used to, I did it at night. So yeah. obviously my day job, um, 
Uh, I work at the City of Glasgow College, so I just, I just actually enjoy writing. I enjoy, enjoy, enjoy the the process of getting something finished and then blogging away and then starting with a blank page and you know enjoy that ticking off kind of scenario. Um, you know, and, and again for somebody that was really bad at school uh, later in life, you know, when I went to university and stuff like that, I really did enjoy it. Yeah. Uh, and I quite find there's something quite relaxing about you know, just producing something. And, and it's special. It's, uh, you know, I, I don't know if any of your, you know, your MD watching has ever written a book, but there's something, you know, the book's going to live forever. You're yeah. not, you know, so there's something quite nice about putting something down in paper and kind of keeping it. And I think that's perhaps particularly the case with cookbooks because they get do get handed down, you know. I've got a couple of my mum's old favourite yeah. cookbooks and things like that. You, you still go back to certain recipes. Yeah, most definitely. And again, especially when you're when you're talking about Scotland's heritage, you know, and my, again, one of my fears was that I missed something. I'm sure I've missed loads. Uh, and if there's any recipes I have missed, certainly somebody, uh, somebody send them in. But for maybe for Scottish Kitchen too. But, um, but I don't know. I think we're lucky in Scotland. We've got we've got such a, a rich larder. Yeah. And we've always had that rich ladder, you know, it's just, it's delving in and, and finding the stories and the, uh, where did that food come from? Why did we eat what we eat? Why are we so good at smoking fish and all that sort of stuff? So I love getting into all of that. And obviously, um, you know, from a, from a seafood point of view, Scotland's, you know, Scotland's fishing industry once upon a time was absolutely general. I mean, it still is, but, you know, it was a dominant, a dominant industry in Scotland, particularly you know, the Northeast, yeah. you know, the herrings and things like that. And and again, once upon a time, it would have been the wild salmon and stuff as well. So, um, no, we're lucky. I know, absolutely we are. Do you think the, there's, a, there's a greater appreciation of that now? Because I attained as a chef back, that was my first training, my first job as well. And you were taught, uh, I was at College of Food Tech, so you were taught a... Um, French. French style. Uh, so was that it's recipe, you know? I know as it's it, it's crazy how how things have changed. And I think there's been a seismic change around the world for looking at your own food. You know, again, I went to food tech, uh, and in fact I still work there. Um and I tell I tell young chefs now that you know my final exam was in French. Mm. You know, we learned everything in French, all the cuts were in French, everything was in French. I mean, I even at that time, I worked in a French restaurant in a big hotel. Right. Service was running French. Right. You know, so checks get shouted on to Homard, all this sort of stuff. And um, and I was I was doing a demo one day and I was talking to the audience about it. And I'm sitting there thinking, there were seven of us in that kitchen. And the person born the furthest away was the sous chef from Wales. <laughs> there wasn't even a French person in the kitchen. But you've got Welshmen, Irishmen, Scottishmen, guys for Govan, guys for yeah. Arisland, all speaking French to each other because that's what we felt was right. And this yeah. is the this is the eighties. Yes. And again, I think about twenty years ago, I used to be uh, I used to open lots of restaurants. You know, I you know I worked for a big a big company, and uh, we used to buy sites, we used to buy restaurants and whatever else, and convert them into what fitted in the area. So. We had lots in the West End, we had lots in Byers Road and Ashton Lane and things like that. And I think this was restaurant number seven that I had to open pretty much a stone throw from the other six. 
And I'll be honest, I ran out of ideas. I had Italian, I had Indian, I had a cinema, I had French, I had all sorts of stuff. And I thought one day, wouldn't it be wacky if we did a Scottish restaurant? I mean, wouldn't it be really, you know, and, and saying that now, thinking, you know, how, I remember be, being nervous going to the owner and saying, how do you fancy doing a Scottish restaurant? And uh, how mad it was. And there was a resistance to the rest of the sort of senior team. But yeah. we did. And it's still there. Mm -hmm. I, I, as is six others of the same name. But um, I just remember that at the time being such a revolutionary um, sort of idea. And uh, I think it was Viv Lumsden, who's a, who's a great um, food ambassador for Scotland. She, I think she was writing for... Uh, one of the sort of Scottish magazines, uh, Scottish, 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 Scottish Life, or I think it's still going, can't remember, but it's a really, really good magazine. She did this whole kind of three-pager on the revolution of Scottish food, you know, 20 years ago, and, and it certainly has been, but I see it elsewhere in the world. People are starting to be proud of their food, you yeah. know, and, and we're, we're, you know, you've got technically non-Scottish restaurants you know, particularly, you know, this uh, independence, they're, they're really hanging their hat on Scottish produce, but doing all sorts of lovely stuff with it, whether it's a burger restaurant or a, or a Thai, you know. So that word Scotland now actually means something in Scotland yeah. when it comes to food, which is great. Uh, absolutely. I think people thought it was um, professionally you didn't cook Scottish, that was for the home, and that's kind of changed completely. I mean, I, I remember going back when I worked in the, you know, the big hotel in the French restaurant, and we used to get our deliveries from Paris, from Rungis Market in Paris. Yeah. We get two truckloads a week, and uh, you know, we would have coquilles and Jacques Ecossaise. So we had we, we had to buy our scallops from France, but they came from Scotland. Yeah, yeah. And even then, you're thinking to yourself, this can't be the best way of doing it. But it came in with the most beautiful white peaches and foie gras and everything else. So, but. Um, but again, I think we've got a way to go, though, you know, yeah. when it comes to that, you know, obviously Brexit and stuff like that's highlighted how uh, how much we rely on getting our our, our food into other markets. Uh, and the more we buy, you know, as as, as homegrown um, customers, the cheaper it all becomes. So um, long may it continue. No, absolutely. I remember talking to a uh, uh, lobster and scallop fisherman on our, in our guile and they said, the majority of this stuff's it's going on a plane and it's going over to uh, Yeah, yeah. I mean, and and obviously, you know, the the amount of the amount of seafood that were were churning around the world. You know, the you know, I've 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 seen me seen you know um, salmon and Outer Hebrides coming in, um, and it was a I, I remember it was a Wednesday, and that in that particular plant they process the American salmon because they have bigger salmon, right, and. Um, I was then in New York on the Friday, went into the fridge and the salmon I had seen on the Wednesday was in the fridge in Fifth Avenue on the on the Friday. Wow. And I was using it for a dinner on the Saturday. I mean it so we've got our we've got our logistics right, you know, and getting this stuff around the world. You know, brown crab going to going to uh, China and and uh, Japan and things like that. You know, the amount of Michelin star restaurants, I think there's 20 Michelin star restaurants in Tokyo alone that use Scottish lobster. You know, and again, part of my kind of, you know, traveling and stuff like that is to help promote our produce. And and the night before I have to go do a speech in front of a bunch of chefs or a bunch of buyers, I just Google Scottish lobster, Scottish yeah. salmon, Scottish scallops, Scottish this, Scottish that, depending on what country I'm in. Mm -hmm. And what it does is it flags up all the menus with Scottish produce in it. And I just I just put I put the names of those 
three Michelin, two Michelin star restaurants in my speech. And I don't know them. Yeah. But the guys in the audience, the guys in, you know, the chefs in the audience know who it is, you know, so they do all the, they do all the heavy lifting, you know, if you can, if you can, if you can get that, you know, 20 minute research in the night before and change the names of the restaurants. But, you know, if you're in Singapore or something like that, it's, uh, you know, it's, and, and, and for a chef, for a chef abroad to yeah. get the word Scotland on their menu is a big deal. Sure. You know, because it is a real mark of quality. Um, and I think if, if Scottish people knew that, yeah. or, I mean, a lot of Scottish people know that, but I think if Scottish people knew that, they'd be really proud of, you know, what we do is food for food. You know, we've never, we're a tiny country and we've never been able to stack it high and sell it cheap. So we've always had to go down that quality route. And then obviously with our weather and our landscape, you know, we, you know, we've got the perfect conditions for things like beef and, and, and lamb and things like that. So what made you enter MasterChef then, the professionals, to move, move <laughs> on to that? So because if I remember rightly, you are one of the older competitors there. Yeah, definitely, yeah. I, I, I'm, the, I'm, I'm the oldest professional winner ever. Yeah. Even the first winner is still 10 years younger than me. Yeah. <laughs> who 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 was a student at the college as well? The first really? winner of Master Chef was a first winner of Master Chef Professionals. Um, uh, Derek Johnson, I think his name is. Um, right. He 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 was uh, he's a he's a food teacher. So I think he was there when I was teaching. I don't remember teaching him, uh -huh. um, but I was teaching part time when he was there when he first went in. Um, so he's still. I mean, he's probably more than ten years younger than me. But I think the thing was. We use, um, in college, we use MasterChef professionals as a teaching tool. Right. So, you know, the, the, first, sort of, the first half of the show, first half of the, sort of the, the, the series, the chefs have to come in and they do that skills test. And they can always brand the skills test as this basic task. So I think, you know, they're getting chefs to make a moose or bone out a chicken or, or do a bit of, bit of fish filleting or something like that. So inevitably, most of them mess up, you know, and it's, you know, for one reason or another, the way they set it up and the way they kind of, the way they do it, it's really good. I love it. It's my favourite bit of telly, even though I had to go through it myself. And uh, so the, the students would come in the next day, you know, first year, second year students would come in and they'd be around the table and you'd be doing your dem and somebody would say, did you see that guy from the Three Rosette Manor House who couldn't have bone out a fish? You know, and these young students you know we're teaching them those fundamentals we're teaching them the, the the sort of foundations of what they need to know and for us as, as educators it's a great tool to say well guys this is why you're dedicating a couple of years of your career and getting those foundations done and don't get me wrong throughout their course in college they'll maybe fill it five six maybe seven fish yeah. unless they do unless they do the fish corn on the restaurant but at least they've done it, they've got an understanding, they know where it should go, they understand how to do it, all that sort of stuff. So when when and if they ever get it in the industry, they, they've kind of touched it and they can understand it. So it's just great for us. Coinciding with that, I um, I, I, I was part-time at the college for 13 years right. whilst running and opening restaurants. And in 2010, I went in uh, a full-time job, position came up and I thought, you know what, it's time. I always knew I would go full-time, but 2010, um, I thought, you know what, I'm ready to to kind of dedicate my life to education, and uh, so I got I got I got the job. Um, it was about 54 applicants, and I managed to get in 
uh, with the skin of my teeth by all accounts, but um, I got in. But soon, as soon as I started, I pretty much uh, started the culinary team. Mm-hmm. So the college for years and years and years, you know, maybe maybe 20 years before I went full time, they did a lot of competitions and were very successful. And it was a kind of barren period for a while. But I thought as a kind of extracurricular thing, I'd quite like to sort of get the, the college's name uh, back into the competition circuit. Um, so between sort of 2010 and, and 2016, I think we'd won about 20 national titles. And I think we'd won about three or four international titles. So, you know, as you'll get the conversation about MasterChef in the morning, all the students are saying, well, chef, you can show us how to do competition. You know, can you put your money where your mouth is? Um, <laughs> and so I did. So I did. So rather, rather daftly, um, I did. And again, looking back on it, I mean, I, I was always really calm on the show. I was yeah. never, and I always remember being calm, I always remember being pretty organised. But again, it took me maybe a year into after I'd won that I kind of realised why I was so calm. And the thing is, you'd spent, I'd spent so much time with, with the students, training and practising competitions. And, you know, you practise a competition 10 times and then you, you have to go in and win. Yes. Whereas with MasterChef, see, as long as you're not the, the worst, you're fine in most rounds. Yeah. So the hardest rounds to get through is the first day. So the first day you're in, you've got skills test, and then you've got to do a signature dish. There's six competitors, and three go home in the first day. Mm. So they pretty much cut the pack in half. You know, so so half of the the, the chefs that go in there only ever get one day's filming so so getting past that for me was quite important and the next round I think there was a kind of a sort of surprise round which I knew I'd be fine on because I was I was quite good on my feet and I I was being honest I was quite confident in my own technical skills that whatever come up I would be fine and and I think pretty soon I think it's like the your third day you're doing the critics round and I had uh, I wanted to get to the critics round because I had two amazing dishes that I had practiced about fourteen times. So I knew that I was again. I knew the dishes were solid. I knew I would get them done in time, and I knew they'd be a wee bit different from what most folk were doing. So I was quite confident. And after you get past that critics round, you're then kind of flung in a pot with twelve other people, and they start going one or two at a time. So your odds get better the yeah. further you go. So. Um, so I was quite confident in, in getting there. And again, when I was there, you know, you're phoning home and stuff like that. And, you know, how do you think you'll go on the day? And I used to phone my wife and i say, if, if, I, if I don't go home, so-and-so is going home. So I could, I could kind of pick who was going next to a degree. Right. And in, in many, many cases, in fact, in most cases, I was right. But, um, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing thing to... It, to do and anybody that's listening whether it's amateurs or or professional if you've got any inkling of doing it just get in there and do it it's a fantastic experience and the crew are amazing absolutely amazing they really are um it's i wanted to ask you actually about the the life as a chef because i would say similarly if anyone's out there thinking oh i quite like the idea of being a chef it's hard hard work i did it for 20 odd years but oh it's a great life i found it a great life anyway I think, again, the, the, the journey that I, I took is probably very similar to yours. Going back, you, you go in at eight in the morning, you go home when you're told. 
Yeah. Um, and you, you know, you've paid not a lot of money. At the moment, there's never been a better time. Never been a better time of being a chef. A young chef can make more in a day now than a young chef five years ago would make in a week. Really? Wow. Mm -hmm. uh, there's amazing opportunities out there. See if someone wants to work hard and, and get into a good place. Uh, there's never, ever been a better time to do it. Um, but go to college first. <laughs> <laughs> well, from what you, because you were saying, uh, it often gives you an advantage if you're going for a job. If you can, I've worked in kitchens where I was the only one that could fill out a fish. But, yeah. you know, so someone it, it depends on the level. What you'll yeah. find is that the guys who are running the not so good places will will dish college. You know, they, they won't see the relevance in it. Mm -hmm. And and all they are is just teach our students, you know, when they're if they ever end up in a situation where they've got their head chef saying, Ah, oh, why are you at college? The answer is because they want to do better than you've done. Yeah. You know, like they want to earn more money than you've you earn, you know, that sort of thing. So I and it's a long term investment. I worked for a few head chefs. I wouldn't have said that to them. No, well, <laughs> the thing is, young people now can say what they like because they can walk out of one job and walk into another. So is is that the situation? Is that there's just so many opportunities out there that really good chefs are, are highly sought after? Even really bad chefs are highly sought after, I'm afraid. Wow, that's <laughs> It's a changed world. Again, what happened, obviously, we've had, um, we've had lockdowns and stuff like that. And I think what happened during lockdown was we there was career chefs who had left school, went to college, done their job, worked every Friday, Saturday night, every Sunday lunch, all that sort of stuff, missed out on birthdays, Christmases, mm -hmm. kids being born, all sorts of stuff like that. And then what happened during lockdown is the restaurant shut and chefs had to find an alternative way of living. And what they discovered was that there's other ways out there where they don't have to work every weekend, they don't have to work every Sunday, they can put in for a holiday and not get made feel bad about it and stuff like that so a lot of chefs did find other ways who would have otherwise never have found that and probably still been cooking yeah so i can it's a great it's a great time to to yeah. join the industry it's a great time to get into uh education as well and are places in the courses you run at city college is it competitive to get into those um basically there's a couple of ways of getting in. We've got uh, level five courses that that fundamentally um, sort of recruit directly from schools. Yeah. But again, if someone's coming into the industry that are that's retraining, and we get a lot of that as well. You know, if we've got mature students, they can they can come straight in and do uh, HND. So there's different ways. There's fast tracks. There's short courses. There's taster courses and things like that. And again, if you apply, um, again, our, our wonderful education in Scotland, you know, in, in most cases, you know, if they, if as long as they, they turn up neat, clean, neat and tidy, you know, they, um, they, there's, there's spaces there. And again, obviously applying at the right time as well. So keeping an eye on open days and websites and things like that. And in general, how important do you think kind of teaching cookery is to people, not just professionally, I mean, in general, because it seemed to me it's something that got lost. I certainly didn't get it at school. <laughs> I, I went to college, you know, that I, I started to learn at all. Yeah. Um, I think it's absolutely vital that we should be teaching kids to cook in primary school. Yeah. We should be teaching kids about food straight away. And I mean, I could probably do a whole podcast on this. The problem is that the way Dare I say the way with the way we learn to cook in Europe has completely changed. Right. In fact, 
the, we, we don't learn to cook, that's the problem. So historically, we would be taught, or, or, or dare I say, it, the female of the house would be teaching the other females in the house how to cook, uh, you know, a hundred years ago. And obviously things like World War II changed that when we get working, working parents and all that sort of stuff. And then we had that crazy time with things like TV dinners in the 70s and all that convenience stuff that was supposed to be uh, the saviour, which was all terrible. And what we have to do is find a new way of engaging the population with food. You know, the kind of things I hear that, you know, to cook fresh is too expensive and all that sort of stuff. I mean, in, in my personal um, sort of family, my gran was the last person to be taught to cook in, at home yeah. and at school. And, and she was born in 1910. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so, you know, 100, she was born 110 years ago and she was the last person that was kind of traditionally taught to cook. I went, when I went to school, I was hopeless. I really was hopeless at school. And uh, I was, uh, I, I took home economics. Well, you, you all, everyone, they all take home economics first and second year. And I was the best in the class. And for somebody who was the worst in every other class, to being the best in home economics was, was a revelation for me. And I absolutely loved it. But I had a great teacher. I had a great teacher that encouraged us and engaged us. And I wanted to do well in her class. You know, so um, so good education. Um, home economics, I think, should be teaching people to cook yeah. for health and, and well-being and, and understanding what a tatty is and what happens if you boil it and why does it break down and all that sort of stuff. So we should be teaching everybody how to cook at school. Everybody should be getting taught to cook. And I, I necessarily, and again, I know the industry is absolutely desperate for staff, but we shouldn't be using that class to recruit chefs because puts people off and kind of sidelines anyone else. There's other people who've got other interests. So I think with good food education, the people who want to come into the industry will come in like I did. Yeah. You know, because I get taught to sew at school. Yeah. I get taught to work a, you know, a sewing machine. I get taught how to iron and make a bed and all that sort of stuff. I mean, my school, Knightswood, I went to, we had a flat. It's like in a, a 1950s flat where we used to be parents. <laughs> it's kind of weird to think about it now, but I mean, that wasn't that long ago, you know, you know, it was the 80s, so it wasn't that long ago, so. But I think, I think, you know, everybody should be having to understand food. And a lot of my role as national chef is out in schools. Yeah, right. And it's great that we're now back, back, sort of back at it. My diary's just full of school visits, you know, from primary schools to, to, to high schools to, um, you know, kids, kids that are uh, in care and all that sort of stuff. So it's great getting out. And food's a great tool to to sort of level people i think yeah so it is. i think that's right and i think going back to the book that's what scottish kitchen does it i mean there's lots of there's so many things wrapped up in it there's memories the food memories there's family memories but there's a, there's the connection as soon as i opened this book it took me back to people and places and and, and meals as well yeah. that and, and that's what it did for me when i was writing it you know and thinking about you know the the sort of I mean, my story on steak pie is all about Hugmanay and, you know, and working in restaurants. Yeah. And, and in Hugmanay, we always did the big 10-course gala dinner. And for me, my main mission that day was to make it make it home for the bells, you know, make it home. And it was my mother-in-law's I was going to at that time because she made the best steak pie. And and we we sat, you know, half 11 steak pie. But um, talking about first fit and talking about our traditions and stuff like that as well is quite funny. And again, as 
as a kid, you know, it's like, no, somebody always gets sent out, yeah. you know, somebody always get put at the door with a bit of coal and a, and a bottle of whiskey. And it was never me, you know, because you had to be tall, dark and handsome. So I, I couldn't go out. I was <laughs> short and ginger. So I don't think MD wanted me as a first footer. So, but no, I think we're, I think we're, we're lucky in Scotland. We've got a lot of food stories. And I'm sure other areas, you know, um, you know, I know Yorkshire's got a big thing going on with their, 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 their food and things like that. But I think we're lucky in Scotland because we've got a, a kind of country that's united with food, I think. Yes. You know, because, you know, in the most part, we all have a story to tell on pretty much every recipe in that book, I think, you know, of how we remember that, and whether it is a pie or a, I don't know, or a bridey or something like that. I think there's a story to be told, a memory. Potted hoch. Yeah. You know, that sort of stuff. I used to, I mean, I used to go to the butchers, you know, when I was six-year-old, go to the butchers and pick up a potted hog from my dad and think to myself, oh, never <laughs> eat that. And, you know, the, the older and wiser you get and you think, oh, I wish I'd bought two every time I went because it was amazing. But And, you know, it, it does cover all over Scotland. I hadn't really heard of butteries until fairly recently. And uh, and then you discover them and you think, oh, these, these are amazing. Why haven't I known about this? But every region does manage to kind of, even if it's not uh, unique to them, it's a variation on yeah. a lot of these things. I mean, I, I was kind of, you know, the more you research and, and if I was to draw, I mean, I can't actually consider putting a map in the book of where the food comes from, but so much of it is from that East Coast. Yeah. You know, and it's maybe worth doing a bit of research as to why why that is, I don't know if, I mean, obviously when you look at the West Coast and the map, it is, I mean, we've got Glasgow. Yes. And then Inverness, you know, and the two, two shall never meet, you know, yeah. so I think the West Coast, I think is is known for its produce as opposed to its historical, but again, things like macaroon bars are in there, you know, that's, yeah. a, that's a Glasgow invention, you know, the, the, the morning roll, you know, the, and again, I grew up next door in, in Morton's Bakery. So, right. you know, it was a great, uh, and, and again, I, for years, I've done a kind of story about, you know, bigging up our, our Scottish food and our Scottish heritage. And you talk about, I do this whole thing, there's this amazing bread that takes 24 hours to make. And, you know, it's proved for, you know, 20 hours and sourdough and all that sort of stuff. And it's a Morton's roll. But in Scotland, we fling in a bit of square sausage and some ketchup, you know, <laughs> whereas, whereas the French or the Germans would have this, you know, this gastronomic delight up there with a crown on it, you know, it we just... Top table, absolutely. Uh, so... <laughs> well, Gary, it's been an absolute delight to talk to you, I have to say. It's been quite a career. Um, just before we go, what's next for you? Um, I am back on the road, which is great. Um, right after this video, I'm doing, uh, I'm going to record a video to tell everybody in Alaska that I'm coming to the Highland Games. <laughs> so I'm, uh, I, um, yeah, I'm going, I'm going to the Alaskan Highland Games. So I'm going to be doing some historical food demonstrations out there. So again, I'm doing food from Outlander and, you know, all that sort of stuff. So, um, uh, which is great. But um, no, it's it's really good. So it's good getting traveling again. Um, yeah, just yeah. recently back from Tartan Week in New York, which was good. Uh, the first one since 2019. It's great seeing everybody there. But um, what else am I doing? Uh, a lot of pop-ups. I'm doing a lot of book signings. Uh, next week I'm in St. Andrews. Uh, I'm in 
Edinburgh. So quite a lot going on. So excellent. So people can catch you, get a copy of the book, and get you to sign it. Yeah, that's it. That's the idea. Well, best of luck with it. Uh, I mean, I think it's an essential addition to any kitchen. I, I really is. It's a fantastic book. Thanks for taking the time to chat to me, Gary. No, not at all. Thank you. And we'll be back soon with someone completely different. Mm -hmm.